Let me ask you a question. Do you believe what we just sang, that all things are possible in Christ? Do you believe that chains can break, that no prison wall can stand against God? Do you believe that this morning? A few, yeah, we kind of do. Let me, let, come on now. Do you believe that this morning? We are worshiping God. Do you believe that the God that we came to worship today can do anything that ha has overcome death? Do you believe that? All right, turn to someone near you and say, all things are possible. God has overcome sin and death. I want you to remember that as we look into God's word today. Um, today we're heading back to base camp. And, um, and, and I also want to say this, the teens, um, we, talk, we heard about how they were at the altar every night at camp and God was moving. I just want to say like, let's not let the teens have all the fun um, and let's not let the teens do all of the responding. God's word today is going to speak to us. If we believe that God can do all things and we come to God's word with an open mind and an open heart, I believe God's going to speak to us. And I want to ask you to come to God's word today with an open heart, with an open mind, and, and to hear from God. So we're in base camp. Um, base camp is, is kind of returning to the basics of our faith. If you do a, a major mountain climb or any sort of excursion like that, you need a base camp. You need a place that you have the foundation set. And so for us, base camp is returning to the, the basics of our faith, what we believe. And, and every single one of us needs to return and look back at the basics to remember what we believe, why we believe it. And if we are going to grow in our faith... We need to know what we believe. And so in base camp, we are looking through our articles of faith in the Church of the Nazarene, what we believe. And this week, I returned to base camp myself. I picked up a book that was a college textbook, and I read it for the first time. <laughs> Just, um, I didn't read it. I read some of it the first time. But, um, but, but I went back to base camp. It was like, here's this book that has been on my shelf since I was in college. And I picked it up and I started reading it. And guess what? It was incredible for me to go back and follow up on something that I studied a long time ago and that I've heard about since. And it was incredibly helpful to me. And so, so we're here at base camp together and, and we're looking at what we believe and, and how what we believe shapes us. And so I want to do just a quick recap. I did this last week, um, but we're in Article 10, which is entire sanctification. This is the backbone of the Church of the Nazarene. This is what we believe, entire sanctification. We're going to get to what that is. But let me backtrack a little bit. Article 5 was, was sin and original sin. That every single one of us here in this room, every single person on earth other than Jesus Christ, have sinned, have missed the mark, have been selfish, have, have blown it. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one. That's Article 5. Article 6 was atonement that through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, we have, the price has been paid for our sins. We are atoned for. And so even though the wages of sin, we have all sinned, even though the wages of sin is death, Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross and we have atonement in him. And then Article 7 was provenient grace. So not only did Jesus go to the cross 
a couple thousand years ago, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, continually chases after us, continually works, and this idea of provenient grace is that before you were even aware of who God was or what God was all about, His Spirit was at work in you to bring you to an understanding. And so we have sin, we have atonement, we have provenient grace, and then Article 8 is repentance. When we become aware that we have fallen short, we've missed it, we have sinned and fallen short, what do we do? We repent. Pastor Jay talked about this. We change our mind and we change our direction and we live for God. We repent. And then last week, justification, regeneration, and adoption, that when we repent, When we repent, we are justified before God. The sins are not counted against us, and we can be righteous. We are counted as righteous. We are justified. We we have regeneration. We have new life in Christ. We are a new creation, and we are adopted. We are sons and daughters of the Almighty God. So you see this progression of our faith. You see this progression of this journey, and today, Article 10 Entire sanctification is another step on our journey. I want to be really clear. Sometimes I think people believe that entire sanctification is the end of our journey. You're going to see today in God's Word. That's not true. Entire sanctification is another step in our journey. And so there's this progression. You you see that progression. And I was trying to think about in my life what what I could relate to this. And the best thing that I could think of was my relationship with Megan. So I might get myself in some trouble today. There's a whole section over there I could get in trouble with. But, but I was thinking about my relationship with Megan, and, and I want to have some fun with this, so give me some grace here. But I want to have some fun. I want you to see the progression of relationship, and my hope is that through that, you will be able to understand better what this entire sanctification is really all about. So it was the summer of 2001, the summer after my freshman year of college. My parents moved here to Westchester, and and I moved here with them. And at that point, um, I had searched all over the place. I had dated lots of girls. Um, that, That sounded really terrible. I dated girls, and I had searched for the person that I would love and spend the rest of my life with. And I moved here to Westchester, and, and I ha- when I moved here, I had a girlfriend from Trevecca that we had been dating for almost a year. And, and I moved here to Westchester, and all of a sudden I started hanging out with this college group with all these guys and girls, and, and I started to realize that the person that I was dating was not the person that I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with. I want to I liken this a little bit. There was some provenient grace happening in my, in my mind and in my heart. Even though we had been dating a year, I started to realize. In fact, I clearly remember there was a night that I was hanging out over at the Dockery's house, over at Megan's house, and, and every night I would have to have these long conversations um, with my girlfriend from back in Nashville. And so there was this night that I'm hanging out with all these people, and I have to walk over here into this other room and have this conversation. And I, it just was like there was just this clarity that like, hey, this isn't what I've been looking for. And so, so the grace was working there. And, but, but then we went back to school, and I want to fast forward a, a year. That next summer in 2002, um, all of a sudden, that, that, that working in my mind, in my heart, the, 
one of these girls that I was hanging out with, Megan, all of a sudden that turned into something a little bit more. And we started dating. And it was like, hey, my whole life I've been, I've been dating people and I've been searching for something and I like this girl. And we came to the end of the summer, but, but I'm going to be really straight with you, like, we just weren't there yet, right? You guys have been there. And so, so we dated through the summer, but at the end of the summer, I was going to head back south to Nashville. She was going to head back north to Mount Vernon. And you know what? At that time, it just wasn't clear that that was the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And so we went our separate ways. And now I'm going to use, I'm going to use a really... Uh, Nazarene word here, Megan went back to Mount Vernon and she backslid. You know what backsliding is? That's when you got something good, but you, you know, you, she found herself a boyfriend. <laughs> anyway, we went our separate ways in that year. We, you know, there, there were different relationships and stuff like that. But the next summer, we, we came back together. We graduated and we, we were back in Westchester. And I'll never forget the moment I was at the Highlands house, and I was sitting down by the pool, or standing down by the pool, and Megan, who was backslidden at the moment, she had herself a boyfriend, pretty serious. She comes walking out of the back door, she's up on the steps, up on the, um, on the porch, and she walks out of that door and starts walking down the stairs, and all of a sudden, I looked at her, and I thought, that's who I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with. And I knew. I, we had dated the summer before, but it just wasn't there, and she backslid, and, and then I knew, like, I knew at that moment, like, this is what's right, and I, and I think in God's provenient grace, we feel God working, and, and we know that there's something else, and we know that where we've been isn't where we're supposed to be, and then there's that moment that we repent, and we change direction, and our mind and our thoughts change, and, and there was that moment that I was like, man, my whole life I've been searching. There it is, right there. That's who I need to spend the rest of my life with. And so a few months later, after, you know, she got over her backsliding, <laughs> a few months later, we started dating again. And, um, and about four months after that, on December 23rd of 2003, I knelt on my knee and I said, Megan, will you marry me? And she said, shut up. <laughs> Several times. But eventually she said, yes, I will marry you. And, and at that point it was like, all right, here we go. I've found what I've been looking for. This is who I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with. She said, yes. So, so in our faith journey, I believe that we come to a point where God's provenient grace has been working and we come to a place where we realize that all of that stuff we've been looking for isn't what we're supposed to have. It's not where we're supposed to be and we encounter the grace of God and we surrender and we repent and all of a sudden, our lives are changed. That's that salvation moment. I don't want, listen, I know I'm talking about my relationship with Megan. I don't want to cheapen God's grace, but I, this is the best thing that I can relate to it. And so, so we, we enter into that relationship with Christ. First Peter chapter one, 
Peter's writing, and, and in verse 3, I think he captures this, this moment of salvation, and as we talked about last week, justification and regeneration and adoption. In verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That I know that like sometimes we just hear scripture and we don't really let it in, but that should give you some goosebumps. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us new life. We've looked and we've searched and we've missed it and we've missed it. Praise be to God. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Peter shares this wonderful grace that's in Jesus Christ. We have a living hope. We've searched our whole lives for it. And, and there we were on December 23rd, 2003, and she said, yes, finally. You know, that wasn't the end of our journey, our relationship. And sometimes I think we, we forget that salvation and justification and regeneration and adoption are not the end of our journey. If anything, they're a new beginning in our journey. And so he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his grace, great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. But there's more. God's not done in justification and regeneration and adoption. God has more for us. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16, what's our response? What's the next step? Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as the one who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So, so we have the salvation moment. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us new life. That's the beginning of a new part of our journey. And God is not done yet. God has more for us. And so First Peter, Peter says, therefore, in light of that, because of... Thinking of that with minds that are alert and fully sober. Let's talk about what that means. Now, first off, I, I don't think that the NIV is the best translation here for us to get what Peter is saying right here. This says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. That just sounds like we're supposed to be awake and thinking clearly. But I love the King James Version, and this, this language is kind of foreign to us these days. But in the King James Version, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. I know we don't talk that way, but let me explain to you why I think that's a great translation. What that's talking about is in that day, men would wear these long tunics. They would wear free-flowing robes. And if you wanted to go somewhere, and if you wanted to run, or you wanted to move quickly, and you didn't gird up your garments, guess what would happen? You would trip. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't run. You couldn't move in the direction without girding up. And so this idea in the NIV, it says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. But, but in the King James, it says, it says, get your mind ready 
because God is going to continue to work. So get your mind ready, alert, and fully sober because God is going to work. Our response to salvation and justification and regeneration and adoption is to get our minds, to get our hearts ready and alert and ready for the journey ahead of us because God has so much more. One thing I think we need to make really clear here today is that we do not save ourselves. We're aware of that, right? We cannot save ourselves. In fact, I want to take that a little bit further. We cannot grow spiritually on our own. It's only the work of God. It's only the work of God's Spirit in our hearts and lives that help us grow. So let's make that distinction right now. This, this, when he says, uh, get, be, have your mind alert and ready, gird up the loins of your mind, he's not saying, get ready so that you can make yourself grow. He's saying, get ready because God is going to do something. So this is an important thing we need to understand. We can't save ourselves. We can't grow spiritually in ourselves. It's only through the work of God. But hear this next part. He will not save us. He will not transform us if we aren't ready and willing God will not force salvation or sanctification on any of us unless we surrender and are ready. And so Peter says, get your minds alert and fully sober. Be ready for the journey ahead because God is going to continue and work. So ready your minds. Tuck in your belt. Get focused. Here we go. And then he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We talk a lot about the grace of God, and in the Nazarene church, when we talk about sanctification, we talk about two works of grace. What Peter is talking about here is a third work of grace as well. So there's three works of grace we're talking about. The first is the grace of salvation. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new life and salvation. The first work of grace is salvation. We're justified. We're restored. But then there's this, this second work, with, which is entire sanctification. But the grace he's talking about here when he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, the third work of grace is what we call glorification. That one day when we meet Jesus, we will be fully transformed into the image of God. We will be the fullest version of God's glory that we can be. We won't be Jesus, but we will be in the image of God. We will be fully representing him. And so we've got the first work, salvation, and then we've got what we're setting our hope on. And in the middle, we have entire sanctification, holy living. Let's make one distinction real quick. Sometimes in the church, we think that when we are saved and we set our hope on the grace to come when Jesus comes again, sometimes our tendency is to think that we should shrink back and just wait for that day that Jesus comes again. 
That setting your hope on the grace to come means hunkering down and just waiting for the good things that happen when God comes. That's not what this is saying. Peter says, get your mind ready, get your heart ready, set your hope on what God's going to do, glorification, but in the meantime, God's going to work, and you have to be ready. You have a journey, and so set your mind, set your hope on what's to come. Article 10, entire sanctification says, we believe that sanctification is the work of God which transforms believers into the likeness of Christ. It is wrought by God's grace through the Holy Spirit in initial sanctification or regeneration simultaneous with justification, with entire sanctification and continued perfecting work of the Holy Spirit culminating in glorification. In glorification, we will be fully conformed to the image of the Son. And so we see the three works of grace. So I want to get back to Megan and I's story. We had December 23rd, 2003, when I knelt on my knee and I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And that was that moment. If, if I was relating it, that was that moment that I knew, that I, I accepted that this was my future. In our faith, we have that moment of salvation, but that's not the end. That's the beginning of something new. And... and In 2004, July 30th, we stood right here. In front of a lot of people, but more importantly, in front of God Almighty. We stood there and we said, there will be no other. We will be fully devoted to each other. We are fully committed. That that December 23rd moment was, I know what I'm going to do, but this moment on July 30th, 2004 was, there's going to be no other the rest of my life. This is my wife. And I will not, I will not stray from that. And I don't know if you remember that moment, but that's that's a big moment. And so we have this moment of salvation in our lives and we have the moment of glorification when we will be perfectly made into the fullest image of God that we can. But this moment of salvation, entire sanctification is like when Megan and I stood there and said from this moment on there will be no other. We are completely devoted to each other. 1 Peter 1 goes on and says... But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. What's our response to salvation? It's get your mind right, get your mind ready for the journey ahead, set your hope on the goal. Sometimes we think the goal is streets of gold and big mansions in heaven. The goal is that we will become like Jesus. We will, be glor- we will have glorification and we will stand before God and fully reflect his image. And in the meantime, you're not just sitting back, you're not just waiting, but in everything you do, be holy. Article 10 continues and says, we believe that entire sanctification is that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which every believer has, are, um, by which believers are made free 
from original sin or depravity and brought into a state of entire devotion to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. Don't miss this. What is entire sanctification? Entire sanctification is that moment after salvation and justification and regeneration that we come to a place that God has worked and done grace in our life and we are entirely devoted to him. But it's bigger than that. It doesn't just say that we're entirely devoted. It says we are made free from original sin. That we are, are made free to live in holy obedience to love made perfect. There are a lot of people in, that, that believe in Christ that do not believe we can be made free from sin. There are a lot of people that believe that, that we cannot get past the chains of sin, but we sang it and we said we believed it. God can do all things. And we believe that God not only wants to save us, but that God wants to deliver us from sin, that we can live holy lives pleasing to God, completely committed, completely devoted to God. Entire devotion, holy obedience, perfect love. Listen, that, that word perfect is confusing. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But that's the moment of sanctification when God delivers us from our sin completely, and we are free to live holy lives in Christ. This is the hallmark of the Church of the Nazarene. In fact, Dale's going to tell you later that this week is camp meeting and district assembly, and, and Tuesday night there will be an ordination service, and in that service, guess what song we're going to sing? We're going to sing, Called Unto Holiness. Holiness unto the Lord is our watchword and song. It's what, it's what we believe, it's what we live. We believe that God's will for each and every one of us is not just to be saved and not just to have new life, but to be holy, to be free from sin. John Wesley says, what is Christian perfection? The loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This implies that no wrong temper, none contrary to love remains in the soul and that all thoughts, words, and actions are governed by pure love. We can live holy lives in Christ. God can do all things, and God has overcome sin and death. And his will is for us to be holy. So Peter says, be holy as God is holy. It's God's intention, and it should be every one of our intentions to live holy and pure lives that reflect Jesus. Let me say that again. Don't miss this. It should be our number one goal, not to be rich, not to have the best-looking family, not to raise our kids. Well, our number one goal should be to be pure and holy and a pure reflection of Christ. That should be the goal of every believer. It's God's design for us. And so we go back to verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in, what's the word there? All you do. Turn to someone around you and say, all. All right, three of you did it. Thank you very much. All you do. We said earlier, all things are possible in Christ. Peter says, be holy in all you do. You know what that means? 
That means in your thoughts. That means in your words. That means in your actions. You are called to be holy. And holiness will only happen when every part of us is surrendered to God. So what that means is no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult, how much difficulty you're facing, guess what you're called to? You're called to be holy. No no matter how annoying your coworkers are or how bad the driver in front of you is, guess what you're called to? You're called to be holy. No, no, matter, no matter what people do or say to you, no matter how mean they are, no, uh, my kids do this sometimes. They say, but, but he did this as, a, as an excuse for their actions. No, in everything we do, in all you do, be holy. And holiness will only happen when every part of us is completely surrendered to God. So, so Jay talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm gonna bring it back. He talked about cleaning house. And, and I think there's levels of cleaning, right? I, I think he may have even said this. There's the, there's the cleaning the house when somebody's about to come over and you just need to get the house presentable. And what do you do when you're cleaning the house because somebody's coming over? I know most of you have spotless houses, but with four boys, that's, that's not a, God can do all things, maybe it'll happen, but, <laughs> but it hasn't so far. <laughs> But, but there's, that, there's that somebody's coming over cleaning, which means what? That means you put everything in our room, you shove things under the bed, you put them in the closets, you close the door, you cover it, you keep the door closed to our room, nobody goes in and the house looks presentable. That's not what holiness, that's not what entire sanctification is. It's not just hiding the mess. It's not just closing the doors of the things that aren't pleasing to God. Holiness is a deep cleaning. It's saying, God, cleanse my heart. Anything, everything, it's all yours. So then you have that, that we're going through every single thing and we're throwing things out that need to be thrown away and we are gonna get this house spotless. That's the next level, right? Well, that's like four levels up. That's holiness. See, when we come to God, we don't come to God and say, hey, I wanna live for you. You can have everything except this. I'm going to close the door here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shove this under the bed. I'm going to hide this part of my life. That's not entire sanctification. That's not holiness. Holiness is saying, God, it's all yours. I'm completely devoted to you. It's standing there and saying, God, there will never be any other. I will live completely for you. That can only happen when we are fully surrendered. So we have the work of salvation. Today we're talking about the work of entire sanctification. And as I told you at the beginning of the message, this is something that we cannot just listen to and walk away from. This demands response. God's word today demands response. And so there's a few different responses that I think you may have today. There are some of us that haven't experienced the initial work of salvation, the initial work of grace that God has justified us and given us new life. There may be some in here that haven't experienced that. And if that's you, your response today, don't skip ahead, you can't do it. Your response is to repent and to turn to God and to receive his grace and salvation. 
If you haven't received that today, that's the response. For a lot of you in here, you have been saved, you've been justified, you have new life. But maybe sometimes you shove stuff in the closet and you close the door, or you shove stuff under the bed and you cover it. Maybe there's some things in your life, attitudes, thoughts, situations that you haven't fully surrendered to God. Maybe you're not living in that place of complete devotion and holy obedience. If that's you today, your response is to surrender, to open the doors, to say, Jesus, come in. Holy Spirit, come in and cleanse me completely. Help me to live for you. And maybe some of you have even been to that place. But that's not the end of our journey. See, we continue to mature in our faith and in our love and in our obedience. And this week, as I read John Wesley's A Plain Account of Christian Perfection, you know what you know what my response was every night? To turn around and kneel at my couch and say, God, it's all yours. There will be no other. I don't want to mess around with things that aren't of you. It's all yours. This is a daily surrender. And so the worship team's going to come. And I want to ask you to respond to God's word. I want to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray with you, but when I'm done praying with you, I don't want you to stop praying. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior and repented and have received salvation in Christ today, your response is to say, Jesus, I surrender everything. Forgive me for my sins. And if you're at the place that maybe you just... You have some doors closed, you have some things hidden, there are some parts of your life that are closed off to God. It's time to surrender. It's time to open your heart, to open the doors. Let him cleanse you. Maybe there's just some of you today that need to come and say today, fresh and new, God, I surrender everything. I want to be a holy reflection of who you are. So I want to pray with you, but when I'm done praying, I, we're going to sing this song, and I want you to continue in prayer, and I want you to respond. And I want you to know that these altars are a great place to come and surrender, to come and renew, to come and put all of your hope and your trust in Christ. There's nothing shameful about these altars. These are a beautiful place where God's grace flows.